Welcome to the Stanley Street Social Podcast presented by MAP. My name is Alex Clements and if you do need some new kit, all you need to do to get 15% off is put a jersey, bib shorts and socks into your shopping cart at map.cc and uh, you'll save yourself 15% uh, through their kit bundle deal. doesn't finish there though. They also have free uh, express shipping, free returns, a crash replacement policy, which you can find out more about at uh, map.cc if you need some new kit. Today on the podcast, we have a recording we did uh, on YouTube, Facebook and Twitter Live uh, with Nicholas Schultz, the Mitchelton Scott rider who raced the World Championships on Sunday. We go through the, the race and kind of pick out a few different bits and pieces to get his thoughts on the very, very tricky course. Um I mentioned at the start of the podcast and a little bit throughout, uh, one of our most successful episodes to date is with Nick Schultz. He's got an amazing story as he came through the the French amateur ranks. Um, and, it, and it gives a bit of context to, you'll notice in this podcast, he's so analytical in the way he looks at different scenarios and analyzes the race. He is, um, he is a very, very impressive bike rider. I uh, hope you enjoy this episode, and if you do want to join on Friday, Friday at 5.30 Australian Eastern Standard Time, we, Campbell Flakemore, Max Gorn, the Melbourne Football Club captain, and myself will be doing our G- Giro preview, which starts on Saturday. So we've been dabbling in live video as of late. It's on the YouTube, the Facebook, the Twitter. So all you need to do is subscribe on one of those platforms. You get access to the live stream where you can make comments, ask questions. Um, and as always, it will be on the podcast platform straight afterwards. So if you do want to join Max Gorn, Campbell Flake, and myself to discuss the and preview the Giro d'Italia uh, starting on Saturday, uh, 5.30 Australian Eastern Standard Times, we will be live. I hope you enjoy this episode with Nick and uh, we'll see you back at the social club soon. Welcome back to the podcast, Nick Schultz. It's um, it's been a while since we we're sitting in your or I was sitting in your apartment in Girona doing maybe one of the best podcasts we've ever done. Oh, the Nick Schultz cool. tale. Yeah, it's it's up there. It's up there. We, yeah, when um, was that? That was uh, in a better time when we were when I was in Girona, just cruising around, doing not much. Freedom of movement. Hanging out with. Hanging out with Lucas, hanging out with you, moving around. Um, but if you haven't, if you haven't listened to it, it's, I think it's our third most popular podcast ever. Nick Schultz, number one um, interview with Caleb Ewan, number two interview with Rowan Dennis, number three is Nick Schultz. Um, so if you want to dig through the archives, you can find that online, or uh, maybe might be still on the podcast apps. But we're here to talk about the World Championships today. You uh, you built good last night, Schultzy. Well, from what from what we could see. Yeah, look, I was pretty happy with with my ride personally, and um, as a team, we did you know everything everything we could. Um, when you've got a rider like Bling as your leader, um, you know, and and Richie as as a leader as well. I think that's always going to get the most out of everyone um, on the team to sort of give their all. Um, you know, and it was it was fully focused on on those guys. And when you know they're going to go to their absolute limit um, to try and finish it off, um, yeah, certainly certainly got the most out of me. That's for sure. And uh, it was a great group to be a part of. What uh, what was what was the plan? Like heading in, what what was the what was the job that you were given? What was the dynamic between Richie and Bling? Um, how how did you guys approach that? So I guess um, the the plan was was probably more geared around Bling. Um, obviously, the course was super hard, um, but anyone who knows Bling would know that he can just. Yeah, when he's got the team committing to him, it's like he he can just run through a brick wall. Um, he can go so deep, um, you know, when everyone's uh, putting it in for him. 
that you can kind of bank on him going to the line, even though it was maybe not the perfect course for him. And you saw that um, on the last lap. Like you look at the on the climb there, and he's he's bopping around with with some of the best punches in the world, um, and sort of just going to his absolute limit. Um, and the and Richie was was also obviously a, a co-leader for if the race was in a different sort of scenario. Uh, you know, if it was, if, if it became more of like the pure climbers that were racing, then that's when Richie would have really become active, I think. Um, but just the way the race went, um, it was it was such a hard and high tempo that, as you saw, no one really attacked until Philippe went. There were, there were no attacks. Mm-hmm. Really, I mean, Pogacar had a little little dig, um, but that was clearly a tactic as well. It wasn't like a, he wasn't having that dig as a race winning move. Um, it was just a super uh, hard race of attrition um, that ultimately had the the strongest guys left at the end, um, rather than sort of you know false finals playing a part in the actual final and, and a heap of tactics. It was pretty straightforward in the end. Um, just by virtue of the course, um, but the dynamic within the team was was unreal, and Richie and Bling get along really well, um, mm. which obviously helps. Um, so it was it was actually just an amazing uh, amazing few days, and um, yeah, just a really good group that uh, I think because we along so well, um, got the most out of everyone. It's good to hear that because from all reports, there's been some tension in the warehouse in previous years with uh, Bling and Garen sprinting against each other for like fourth and fifth one year. So that's that's nice to hear that there was some good cohesion. Who was in charge? Because uh, Brad McGee couldn't come over for for obvious reasons, international travel, et cetera, et cetera. So who was in charge and what was the, the dynamic like from that point of view? Yeah, so due to the circumstances, I guess it made it pretty complicated for CA to um, sort of uh, you know, put together particularly the staff for the for the race. So, um, Matty Heyman was the director for the for the race. Um, so that was familiar for me. Obviously, he's uh, DS at Mitchelton, um, and he's brilliant. He and and he really just uh, brought everyone together really well. And um, yeah, he was uh, he he was he was brilliant. Can you remember, I don't know, I recall like whispers when you're an under 23, it's a bit more, it's a bit more clear cut. Well, it was more clear cut when you were racing as a, as a squad. Do you remember hearing whispers of like the world champs and people throwing down cash and who's the winner and it's just like you're buying, you're, you're buying your spot to uh, be the number one rider. Is that true? Or is that just all not, nonsense? Not, not from any of my experience, no. That sounds like a Euro uh, sort of thing, like a Spanish team. You reckon that's what the Belgies are doing? Maybe not the Belgies. The Spanish team in their 2001 cycling jerseys. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They need to change, don't they? Um, But uh, (laughs) no, not from, I haven't seen anything like that within the Australian team. I think, but I think as a a national team and and maybe just a nation in general, um, I think we're pretty renowned for, you know, like, camaraderie and coming together and sort of working for a common goal um and and i think that starts from very young you know you go to a junior worlds and as a junior team you're already working for a select leader whereas the european nations it's like all in it's like nah, screw this it's like we're all here at the junior worlds we've each got an opportunity to win the world title and that's great but it, it's not like sort of um you know, um, planting the seed that ultimately cycling is a is a team sport, and to get the best result, there's got to be sort of a common goal, and and there's got to be a collective to get there. Um, so I think Australians, and I think also the Brits, um, are very very good at at working together and and sort of putting personal ambition aside sometimes. Um, well, I, I mean, it just needs you just need to be um, realistic about it. Um, yeah, you know, you, you, when you're sitting in a room with with certain guys, you can't just be like, "Oh, no, can't work for them." I, I want to have a, my own race. Like, 
you, you've got to be realistic and see that actually if you if you work for some of those guys, then it could be one of the best the best races of your life if they pull something spectacular off, you know. And I uh, I pulled in on the last lap um, once my job was, job was done and got on the bus to watch the last last twenty k. And you know when you're seeing the guys that you've been working for the whole race, like right up there in the pointy end when things are kicking off, you're screaming at the TV. I mean, it's an amazing feeling um, when you think that you know, wow, this is this is possible. Like, imagine, imagine if he if he crosses the line first or gets a medal like that. That's um, you know incredibly satisfying to be a part of. It is. It is a weird dynamic though. You you look at uh, these national teams. You talk of. I think there is you, you feel that strength in the Aussie nations and the Brits, um, but realistically, Bling's on your squad next year, which is handy. Mm. But if he if that wasn't the case, you would literally be doing the job for national pride. Um, yeah, because you because you have done you have done your time in the French amateur scene. Can you can you see how that's? Um, not quite the team cohesion isn't quite there oh certainly certainly particularly at a at the younger ages i think um because everyone's fighting so hard to to move up i think they've got a lot better in the you know in the pro ranks you look at you look at the french teams now and they're and they've got a really good collective and particularly yesterday you look at their national team and um they they wrote a brilliant race um all for all for alaphilippe and they pulled it off um, I, I think the biggest surprise yesterday um, in terms of cohesion was, was the Belgians. Um, like that's an all-star team. All guys who in their own right probably could have been at the pointy end of the race. Um, and I think that's the first time, certainly in recent history, that we've seen the Belgians really unite um, for, a, for one leader. And that was interesting because... Yeah, I mean, how do you tell Greg Van Avermaet that he's that he's not leading the team, or or Tish Benoud or Tim Wellens? I mean, that's God, that'd be a very hard team to manage, surely. Mm. But I guess if, if you're the French and you've got Julian Alaphilippe, but again, even if you are an absolute hitter, it's like, well, I'm not quite as good as Julian Alaphilippe, am I? Mm. They absolutely killed it last night, didn't they? The French, they were. Yeah, it was good to see someone just light it up like that as a team. Yeah, a few laps ago they ripped it there and thinned out the bunch. I reckon a hundred guys must have got dropped that lap. Um, it was yeah, they they lit it up and uh, just fully committed. And I think actually the silent assassin of that team was um, Guillaume Martin. It, like he just was, he was pretty unreal. Watching that last lap, um, he sort of took a lot of pressure off Alaphilippe. Was he one of your bros from the amateur scene back in France? Yeah. Guillaume? I, I don't know him from a bar of soap, actually. I race him, race him a lot, <laughs> but I, I don't know him at all. I don't know him at all. Okay. I was hoping you could give us some insight because yeah. uh, Keno was talking about he's some sort of like uh, he writes plays or something. Like he's like a theater. He's man. an intellect. I think he's a, yeah, he's a, he's a super intelligent guy. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't I, I don't think he's one of the boys as such in that team, but he's just so good at um, so good and and obviously committed to the team that you know you can't not have him on the team. But I know a few of those mm-hmm. other guys reasonably well, and um, for sure they they have a great atmosphere in their team as well. Mm. I've got a question from uh, Luke Parker on the winner Julian Alaphilippe. Is he mm. is he going to run the white bibs, the white world bibs? <laughs> is there any? Qu- is that so, even man. a question? Of course he will. You think so? No, I hope he doesn't. I hope he doesn't. Um, <laughs> yeah. You hope he stays traditional. I think. I think Gilbert ran some white bibs. Good. He did every now he and did, then. Yeah, but it wasn't permanent. It was just no, like, that's what I'm on the odd occasion. Yeah, um, when, we'll just when the sun's out, out. To the big occasions <laughs> and whip out the white bibs. <laughs> no, I think. I, yeah, I don't know. You never know, but I, I think he'll hopefully go black mix. Do you um do you head back to France at all? Back to where you used to live? No, I've only been back once um, since I had a race nearby um, a couple of years ago, and just uh, stayed on for a, for a couple of nights at an old 
old teammate's house and and yeah, no, I haven't haven't really been back to where I used to live since then. That was like 2018 or something. I'd love to talk to a, like a Frenchman about how big Julian Alaphilippe is, just how much of a rock star he is in that country. He's big. He's big. Is he? Um, yeah. The Tour de France last year, um, you know, was uh, he? He was just he just he is a rock star since then. Um, yeah, he was already very well known and a big a big sort of uh, rider in the French's eyes, but in terms of um, you know, touching people outside of the sport, what he did in the tour last year. Um, yeah, he's he's big and now he will be um, even bigger. Uh, but <laughs> I, I think ultimately, long. ultimately, I think they care. The French outside of cycling and probably within care more about the Tour de France anyway. Um, and it's two years in a row that he's, you know, had the yellow jersey, won stages and... Um, yeah, he's very much he's very much a big dog um, in the French scene, and I mean he's a pretty good world champion. In the end, you'll mm. see the jersey from from January to October um, at the pointy end of the races, and that's that's pretty nice to see the rainbows. Do you consume the French news, Schultz? You do you keep up to date? I have a I have a little bit of a look, yeah, sometimes at at some of the French cycling news, just because they've got a quite a lot of good journalists there actually as well, yeah. um, and they they're pretty up to date with with what's going on in the world of cycling. I do uh, check in every now and then. What do you think mm. of the finale anyway, Alex and Schultzy? Like on the attack, big time, and then that group behind was kind of weren't chasing full gas, but. I mean, with with Van Art there, you're probably a little bit cautious of taking him to the line. But if you don't chase, you don't win. It was a real tricky, tricky situation for those boys in that second group. I I find the dynamic um, of when there's a fast guy in the group, let's not work, weird. I don't understand that dynamic because just if you just because you're working with that guy doesn't mean it's going to come down to a sprint in the end anyway. But I, yeah, like, why not work together? Try and try and catch Philippe and then get rid of an art. I, I'm not sure. I just, what's the point of doing all that, you know, all that effort, and then just not working with a guy who can maybe beat you in the sprint, but you're not even sure of it when you can't win the race. Um, you know, they often say the very best riders, the guys who win big. And there's only a few of them, you know. It's a, it's only similar riders that we see winning the big monuments, and you know they're a special breed. And they always say they're prepared to lose to win. Yeah. And and that's they're, they're not riding for second place. They don't care about second place. That they'll you know play poker, and if if it's um, you know it's like it's it's win or 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 nothing. They don't care about the podium. Um, and and I think, uh, yeah, you, you look at that group behind, and it's just a missed opportunity. I mean, it would be amazing to to have a, a medal in in the world titles, but um, you know, there's only one rainbow jersey, and to to not work together to try and have the opportunity at winning it, I just I don't understand that dynamic. Um, because then he's no just going to you for the silver medal. Yeah, like no one remembers. So if you're worried about him. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting. So it's, it's like, interesting. they weren't slow guys either. It wasn't like uh, no. it was Wood Van Aert and a bunch of pure climbers. Like, no, I mean, Hershey, Hershey showed in, in the tour that he's super quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. They, could, they could have worked together, got him back, and then started hitting him, like attacking left and right. Yeah, and then maybe maybe it still would have come back to a sprint. But and at least... if they were to get him back, he he would have been gassed for the sprint if they got him back. So there's one less guy as well. You know, yeah, he he played his card. His card was to attack, and you know he 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 played the card. I'm I'm all in, and if I lose, I lose. But it worked, didn't it? Like he he took the risk, and he he was just dangling there in sight for for a while. And I think he was banking on the fact that. They were going to play cat and mouse because Van Art was there. He, he was, yeah, he, he played it perfect. 
I think the strongest guy probably won though, because that was when he went. That was that was the time mm. to go. No one could follow the move. So yeah, like I said earlier, I think we just got like a super world champion that's going to be in the front all year next year, winning races, yeah. and it's going to be pretty cool to see. And also, you mentioned those guys that were in that second group all have that kind of killer instinct. I'm not too sure about Hershey just yet because he's he's so young. But all those guys in that group, except for Full Sun because he wasn't at the tour, won a stage of the tour. Yeah. Which was a hot uh, group. A yeah. hot group, yeah. I, I saw an um, interesting tweet from Mel Hoskins, Rowan's wife, around Roglic being in the group. And mm. obviously teammates with Wood Van Aert. Obviously Wood Van Aert's been chopping turns for him for the last three weeks in the tour. Like, bro, do you want to, you know, you, you're not going to win this. Do you want to roll through? We were um, we were talking about that as we were watching it too. Um, and we were, were all speculating, you know, like when's Roger going to do a burner to pull it back for Van Aert? Um, but I think the intention was there. I just think he was buggered. Uh, I, because I don't think Rodgelick was in that group thinking, oh, I'm going to wrap up the sprint here. Um, but he, <laughs> I, I um, yeah, I just think he was cooked. Um, and I, I, he just seems like the type of guy that if he could have, he, he probably would have wanted to help um, try and bring it back. Um, mm. But But who knows? I mean, ultimately, I think as bike riders and depending on, on the nation, like we discussed before, um, you know, if, if someone from my team who was in a different country asked me for some help on the world titles, I'd tell them to get stuffed. Um, you know, I'm at the Worlds to, to represent Australia and work for the Australian leader. I don't really care if the Australian leader's on, on my, my trade team or not. Um, yeah, I'm loyal to, to the jersey I'm wearing. Maybe Rodrick was thinking that too. Like he's had the winner of the Tour de France just um, trying to set him up all day and a whole team working around him. You know, they were at the front all day. Um, and maybe he thought if he were to work for Van Aert, it was disrespecting the rest of the Slovenian team. So you yeah. never know. Maybe he did have the legs, but he just was uh, loyal to Slovenia. Only mm. cycling could throw up some sort of <laughs> conundrum like that, though. Really, you know, working for two different teams. Yeah. It's a in it's two, a in two different sport. weeks. It's it's bizarre. There was a uh, I, I, I was scrolling the um, the internet this morning, and Eddie Plankart, who is a former winner of Tour of Flanders, and Paris Roubaix, just old, you know, an old Belgian guy. He uh, he quoted on this on this Roglic and Van Art uh, saga. He said, "If I were Van Art, I wouldn't ride another meter on the front again for Roglic." <laughs> <laughs> so clearly, yeah, right. there's some uh, some heavy yeah. thoughts coming from from the Belgian public on on the fact that he didn't get any assistance from from Roglic. But all, a lot of these Belgian old guys seem very uh, opinionated and they don't mind coming out in the press and just lashing people, do they? Well, I always love waiting for um, Eddie Merckx's reactions on, you know, Remco and and uh, the young Belgians. <laughs> it's, 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 always, it's always brilliant to see what Eddie has to say. Mm. Mm. It's like they still just want to be the great. And they yeah, they want to be as relevant as possible but, for as long um, as possible. It's it's just like, yeah, yeah. That's that's how they get their front page front page on the paper, on the local Ghent in a hit news spread. Blood. Yeah. Uh, Schutzi, how like how hard was that climb? Or those climbs? That it circuit was... in general. Yeah. Look, I think um, I think the TV didn't do. Um, justice to how hard the course was um, because watching the the women's race the day before I sort of thought gee um, doesn't look doesn't look as hard as what it felt you know doing the recon um, it looked like super steep super slow climbs um, like I the gear ratio I used was a 36 30 um, and almost every lap I was in the 3630 up the climbs. 
um, wow. except for the couple of laps where they really ripped it. And, you know, like every lap was hard up there. It, even the easy laps, it, it was one of those climbs that it was so steep. Just to ride up it, you know, you, you're riding it at nearly 400 watts to just go, going over their control in the brake. Um, so it was, a, it was super hard. Um, but the beauty of the circuit was there was so much going on. It was so narrow. There were so many lefts and rights up, down. The race went super quick. You know, all of a sudden, you're four hours in and you're like, oh, okay, it's, it's going to be on now. Like, it's really going to kick off now. We're, we're getting to the end of the race. Um, whereas sometimes, you know, a race of 250K or anything 200 plus, there's, you know, there's that moment of lull where you're just like, oh, waiting to switch on. You know, you're just sort of trying to, you want the race to sort of, evolve into being the race um for the final but it sometimes just sort of lags um but there was none of that uh at all on this circuit it was just uh no time to sort of dawdle that was gonna be my next question because like six and a half hours on a circuit like that must be boring at times like i know you've just said that it wasn't uh wasn't the case this time around but i mean doing a uh, 250k race is enough you know a to b that that's boring enough but on a circuit like you must just be thinking this is just going to be death for four hours like you just got to stay focused mm, yeah and i think i think that's often um probably the thing that separates the really good classics riders from from the rest of us is that they're so good at going through the different phases you go through in such a long race i mean I would be very surprised if the whole day yesterday, Alaphilippe was like, oh, I'm on the best day. I'm on the best day of my career today. I, I don't think he would look like that from kilometer zero to the end. You know, you, there's so many sort of ups and downs to a race of that, that distance. Um, you know, I remember thinking yesterday on the second lap, like, oh, this is, this is really grippy. Like, if it stays like this, I'm, I'm going to be done before I'm even supposed to clock on to my uh, job. And, and then, you know, you, you ride through it and the race is actually getting harder and you, you start feeling better and better. So it's, it's like, it's pretty, um, yeah, I, I think those guys are so good at just sort of accepting that you don't feel good at times through a seven-hour race and, and uh, sort of keeping the self-belief. Do you get like used to 260 kilometer or not 260, but over 200 K events? I remember turning under 23 and like, it was like 180 is like, what? Like it's so far. It's such a long race, but then eventually it just becomes the norm. When you turn pro is like 200 clicks. Just um, like, oh yeah, next. Just get on with it. I, I think, uh, I think, 200 is is comfortable i thought well, not comfortable but i think it's it is kind of norm but um it is very true you know when you hear commentators say the the sort of mystery when you go over the 200k mark how different people react um because you don't do it often it's only in one day classics often you know that you you're doing the really long race and if it is a really long stage in a grand tour, it's ridden so differently to a classic. Um, you know, the pace that was getting ridden after 30k yesterday is not going to be the same pace that's getting ridden on a 250k grand tour stage because everyone's leaving everything out there for one day. And the breakaways, the breakaways going as hard as they possibly can because they know more or less they're, they're never going to go to the line. So they're just... Yeah, they're just going out there and riding a time trial for as long as they can. And you see that. The break had seven minutes and within like one lap, they lost six minutes because the, the lights just went out. Um, and it wasn't like the peloton necessarily really upped the pace, you know. Um, and I think that's, uh, yeah, as the race gets longer, um, it becomes more of a mystery. And I certainly notice it when you start getting up around that 200K mark, um, you just start to feel like you can't fuel enough. Um, you know, you, 
you sort of feel that borderline hunger flat coming on and um yeah it, it certainly plays on your mind you know maybe you get out of the saddle and you get those little twitchy sort of pre-cramps and you're like oh don't feel them often um just just little things like that um but for sure i think uh that's that's also why you know a lot of the a lot of the guys in that front group as well were were um not the 20 year olds that we're seeing dominating a lot of the races at the moment you know they have a bit more experience at those really long classics and and maybe uh maybe it will be that we see the the 21 year olds um you know, able to, to come in and, and dominate the, the stage races because stage races seem to be leaning towards the shorter stages a little bit, the shorter, more aggressive and exciting stages. Um, but it'll be interesting to see whether we'll see 20, 21-year-olds dominating Liège, Basson Liège or um, San Remo when they, as soon as they turn pro because you just don't have the exposure to, to racing 250K um, out of juniors. Um, or out of under under twenty threes. Now, obviously, I was a bit surprised you know, to see the guys coming through are, are freaks. I was surprised to see Hershey in the front, uh, coming off the back of the tour, being so young, and and the team were obviously committed too because Switzerland were doing a little bit of work work on the front. I was thinking, surely this can't be for for Hershey, but it was, and he he delivered with a bronze medal. Yeah, he he's he's incredible. Um, I mean, also I think uh, like credit to a guy like that. Um, as soon as the breakaway went, you know, and we'd had the lull in the bunch, they let him get get a decent gap. Switzerland were the first team to go up to the front, so he's he's backing himself. The team's backing him. First senior world championship, I, I reckon. Straight off the Tour de France, massive crash there in the last week. He's, yeah, you know, still covered in webbing, and and he's just like, you know what, I'm I'm on, I'm up for it. Um, <laughs> and and I remember seeing him with like three laps to go, and I thought, oh, he doesn't look good. Like um, they've just ridden all day, and he, he, I thought he didn't look that good. I saw him grimace a little bit. I'm like, oh, yeah, don't see that often. And then I'm watching it. The, the last end game, I'm like, Jesus, God, I thought he was done 40K ago. Um, so, you know, just again, one of those special guys that, that can pull it out. And, um, yeah, there's there's just something different in, in those those special riders' heads, I think. They've uh, they got something that, that the majority of us don't have in, in, their, uh, in their psychology, I reckon. It, it's something we've been talking about a lot lately. Um, with the trend of now 20, 21, 22-year-olds just dominating the pro ranks at the sport. is Can you wrap your head around it, Schultze? Like, is it a bit, is it a bit like, for me, and I think a bit for Campbell, it's like we were, we were so far away from even winning an under-23 race, let alone a world tour race at 21. And these guys are going out oh, and I mean, featuring in the top three worlds. I I find it incredibly difficult to to wrap my head around um, because I mean I think I was even further off winning an under twenty three bike races than you guys were when I was twenty one, um, and and just to see how they can just just step in straight out. I mean some some of them are turning pro out of juniors, you know, like Remco. Mm. It's just. Uh, I was like most of us when we do our first one or two years under 23, you get your ass handed to you in those races. Um, so it's, it is really difficult to, to sort of understand how it's possible, but I think it is awesome. Um, it's pretty cool. And I think it, it sort of adds a, a new, uh, dynamic to racing. Like the, it's so aggressive and the way young guys race is, is a lot more like, do or die, and and I, I, you know, Pogacar at the tour was incredible to watch, just the way he took it on. And maybe you wouldn't see that from a guy who'd who'd been in the world tour for ten years. Um, so I, I think it's great for the sport, um, and, but I do think that their careers will potentially be shorter. Um, like I, I don't know if there's if these guys that turn pro when they're twenty, 
are going to be riding when they're 35 um, in the world tour. Um, but that's probably more from a psychological side rather than physical. I mean, at 21, you've just won the Tour de France. You, your life changes. <laughs> Can you sustain that type of stardom for 15 years? Like it's a, it's a sport with long careers as it is. Um, and with so much demand, you know, like maybe if you're a, maybe if you're a basketball player with, with, you know, an immense amount of stardom at 20, it's, it's not quite the same training load as a guy who's trying to win the Tour de France. So you, he's balancing stardom training, you know, all the commitments that, that go with, with being a, a superstar. Um, I don't know how sustainable that is in the long run. Um, but it's certainly pretty cool to see. Um, but, and I think it will just become more and more common. Uh, like, you know, we say, are oh, they're freaks. But, you know, I was in it last week doing some one-day races and the, 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 the last one of the three was, was a super hard race. There was a massive climb in the middle and it sort of all came back together for a reduced bunch sprint. And the podium were all from 98, I think, 98 or 99. It was like Ethan Hayter, <laughs> um, one other rider, I can't remember his name, and, and Rob, Rob Stenard. Um, and the race was over 200K, you know, good field. Um, and so it, it's, uh, I think it will become more and more common. It's just kind of the, the way the sport's evolving with, with training and... Um, yeah, I, I guess it's always the way, isn't it? Like uh, sort of each generation becomes more scientific, more more knowledgeable with certain things and like not just within sport, like it's, it's how the world progresses. Young people come through and push the boundaries and, you know, push for change. Um, so it's it's, I reckon it will become more and more common. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, something that's a big talking point at the moment. Cadell also mentioned, um, like you said, that he, he thinks that we had Cadell Evans on the podcast last week. He reckons that careers are going to become become shorter as well just because being at that high intensity is just so hard to sustain. But I also think that if when one or two of the guys can come in and start dominating in their first year, then it just gives confidence for other guys to follow in their in their footsteps. Then there's just there's a lot of that as well. Just like anything, if you see someone that was in your position move up and start dominating, you think you can do the same thing. So I think there's going to be a fair bit of that as well. I think also from the the team's perspective, I, I mean, I can't imagine ten years ago um, a, a team having a neo pro come on and being like, right, we're going to back this guy for the tour. That, that must have just not existed. It can't have. But now you look at the way teams are signing riders and you're seeing like, oh, 18-year-old signs five-year contracts. And it's like, whoa, like five-year contracts didn't exist 10 years ago either. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's also the, the confidence from the team as well, um, you know, backing young riders, which I don't think would have had an opportunity in 2010 to, to ever lead a team until they were, you know, uh, senior statesmen. Mm. <laughs> Let's uh, not also forget how good Wood Van Aert was last night. Like the caliber of riders yeah. he was with. Oh my goodness! It was just it was so clutch. Just any any position where he was slightly out of place, he just fixed it. Just all right, draw this guy back. Alaphilippe goes whack. Like that was the only one that eventually distance him but even then he's still with some of the best climbers in the world like it was wild it was um it was incredible and he like the versatility that that guy has um is just unreal and i i think you know even even someone like hershey and alaphilippe like the these are the modern era of of riders that are just good at everything um mm. and again i think that is also part of the way the sport's going and, and um, you know, everyone's kind of got to be versatile. And it's, it's probably also driven by the fear of the young guys coming up and, and taking spots. So everyone's training harder and, and everyone wants to keep their jobs. Um, 
to to keep a spot on a team being taken from a 19-year-old who can do everything. Mm. Um, Matthews was seventh. Was was there good good energy in the bus or the hotel after we go? Like, was everyone happy with the performance, or was it was 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 Bling happy? What was what was the the vibe like? Oh, everyone was uh, was stoked. Um, uh, the the person, the only person with with any sort of disappointment was Bling. Um, but again, I think that just speaks <laughs> volumes of the type of rider he is. Um, you know, he he wanted to win. And I, I think he's a prime example of a guy that lays it on the line to win and anything but the win is is, is not that relevant to him. And, and he was just, he was, he was disappointed in, in the ride. But I think that was probably more just in the heat of the moment. I, I would hope that once he um, lo- actually looks at how he rode and, and where he was, was just incredible. Um so yeah, the vibe uh, on the bus afterwards um, was was brilliant. I mean, we we weren't sitting there asking the question of what could we have done differently to improve the result. Um, it was we did everything we could. We had a leader who did absolutely everything that they could, and that was we we got beaten by um, some better guys, and that's. You've got to accept that sometimes when, uh, you know, there, it's it's a one-day race um, and there are, you know, everyone's prepared for it and there are going to be sometimes guys who are better. And uh, what can you do, you know, if you've, if you've done the perfect race? There's six guys who, who uh, get away from you. Um, you can't be that disappointed. I think it would be different if we you know, screwed up the plan or, or rode a crap race as a team and, and then Bling got seventh. I think, you know, he'd, he'd have a right to be annoyed and, and the, the directors would have a right to be asking questions like, what what happened? You know, why why weren't you at this point when that was part of the plan? Or, um, but there was none of that. So it was, it was a really yeah. good, good atmosphere and, and everyone was really, really happy. Because you look at the guys that finished in front of him, I mean, even on his best day of climbing, he's... He's probably not going to be able to climb with with any of those guys. So I think seventh is a is a massive result. Mm. Let's not forget oh. that. Uh... Yeah, I mean, and then you look at the group he came with, like he's with Valverde, um, Caruso, Shackman. Yeah, the, the group like, that yeah. he came into the line with was also just just a pure pure climbers. Like the, the, it was an amazing group, also. So and they weren't yeah. good enough to go with the, those front six. Let's not forget uh, the man that was with him, though, Nicholas Schultz. Like you were, you were really mixing it with the big boys. Like you saw where when Bling was just positioned perfectly, heading into the bottom of the climb. Um, you were around the mark. It was a big ride. Yeah, I mean, that was uh, that was my role um, to. Uh, to basically be there once Durbo had uh, had clocked off, and I think a lot of credit has to go to Durbo because he'd ridden the TT, um, and and it was kind of like, well, if if Durbo covers the first hundred k, that's awesome. Durbo did two hundred k, just about <laughs> of uh, of looking after Bling, so I got to lay reasonably low. Um, sort of just you know being around and, and doing doing some of the little things that you don't see on TV, whether it's you know biddens, the odd little bit of moving up. But I didn't have to put my face in the wind until you probably saw me, you know, with probably in the just touching on forty or fifty k to go or something, and it was like my final um, peeler. You know, that was that was a really key point to come into that that second last um, climb at the front. And, uh, and yeah, that was, uh, max, max effort to, uh, to get them there and, and then check out. Um, mm. but it, it was, it was, a, it was a good day. Do you, do you ever think like how, like if, if the Oz team, let's switch roles around, Bling's doing the job for you. The whole team's doing the job for you. Like where, where would have you featured? Where would have you found yourself in that back end? 
Um, that's a very difficult question to answer. Uh, I mean, a prime example is yesterday before I really hit the wind, I thought, oh, you know, this is, this is going all right. I feel, feel pretty good. Might get round this next lap. Um, but the way the race was going, it was like, okay, no, there's need to, need to do my sacrificial move now because it's, it's heating up big time. And this is going to go from a, a 40 or 50 rider group to a 20 rider group now. Like next hill, this is it. And so from feeling quite good to then going and riding, uh, I think the Belgies were riding, and uh, just to sort of put my nose in the wind and try and hold the line next to them, from feeling quite good, I went to feeling like completely cooked in five minutes. Um, so it's a difficult one to answer. Um, and there's there's a whole um, a whole lot of other aspects that come into it. Um, yeah, you know, I'm not. Uh, I'm not um, very often leading a team um, and it's quite difficult to shoulder pressure when you've got um, a bunch of guys who are working just for you. That's, that's not an easy thing to handle and that, that takes away energy. Um, so it's, it's, yeah, look, I, I'm, I'm not, I probably wasn't going to get around the, the race uh, at, the, at the pointy end if, if the team was riding for me. I think that's easy to answer. Mm. It also shows just the kind of the kind of skill that Bling has as a quick guy. Like to be able to feature in that back end is wild. He, like him, him and Wood Van Art, oh, so impressive. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, we talk about Wood Van Art, but the the next most outstanding ride of the day was Bling. You just look at the mm. coming into that last final crunch time climb. You look at that group. There's two guys who stand out: Wood Van Aert and Michael Matthews. That, like, they're just two guys who, in theory, you just think, oh, they shouldn't be in that group. Yeah, but but they is, are. Is there energy around him coming home, back to Mitchell and Scott next year? Oh, I so I certainly think so. I mean, um, having a rider who you know, like that, who, uh, who lays everything on the line, um, and values so much value in a team laying it on the line for him. Um, it's incredibly motivating. Um, you know, you see sometimes with, with, with leaders in other teams or, or whatever, sometimes they'll have a team just ride all day for them and it gets a little bit hard and they just easily just swing off and day done. And it's like, where was the fight? You just had seven guys riding their asses off for you for six hours and it just got a little bit hard and you've uh, you sat up. Like, okay, if you don't have the legs and you get dropped, you get dropped. But it's, you know, it's that whole, like, go down fighting. And I think um, Bling is, uh, is just incredible at that. He leaves absolutely everything out there, every single race. And... Uh, yeah, I'm certainly feeling a lot of, um, you know, positivity with him uh, coming to the team and, and really looking forward to to uh, putting it on the line for him for sure. And I'd imagine a lot of uh, riders and also staff uh, are feeling uh, feeling that too. Last one from me, Schultzy. What's next? This, uh, this season is just a, <clears throat> a bit of a wild one, racing bang, 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 Ardennes this week coming up. Yeah, so uh, I'm uh, I'm just still in my hotel room here in Italy, and I'll be uh, packing up soon to to head to the airport and fly straight to Belgium. Um, Flesh Wallones on on Wednesday, uh, so a quick turnaround there, and then um, Liège on Sunday, uh, Brabant Pill Wednesday, Amstel Gold Saturday, um, and then a quick uh, a quick little stint back at home, and then the Vuelta. To, to wrap things up. Jeez. <laughs> so what's that? Does the welter go into... It's been does dense. It go in, yeah. Does it go into November? Does it go quite into November? Mate, it finishes on the 8th of November. 
<laughs> That's Ugh. deep into the season. Mm. Can you imagine is, how uh, cold it's going to be in like yeah, those like deep. Spanish desert stages? Like, it could be icy in oh. there. Don't talk about it. Don't talk about it. <laughs> Let alone the Ardennes next week. Mm. Like, oh, look, I think what I are think we? It's almost October. Dry day coming up in the next month. It's it's going to be a lucky day if it's, if there's any sunshine for any race for the next month. Besides the obvious that there's no crowd at the events. When you actually get to the start line, like you're lining up, is there anything that's different? Like, is it just like, all right, let's, we're just on here, we're racing? Like, is there any notable difference between a oh, your first ever or our first ever COVID season? You uh, you wear a mask until about two minutes before the start. So you're on the start line with a mask on. That's pretty different. Um, but otherwise, not really. I think the bubble system's working pretty well. Um, you know, you've got to get a lot of a lot of COVID tests. That's that's new. So there's always like, you know, organising when you're going to get the tests done and a little bit of stress before you get to the race. But once you're actually at the race, um, yes. Yeah, aside from wearing a mask everywhere, um, you know, you're on the massage table, you're wearing a mask. Um, you you go up to get um, you know a second round of food. You put your mask ask back on to, to go get um, your main meal or to go get a water from the fridge. Um, but, I mean, living in Spain, um, I'm pretty used to that anyway. It's compulsory to have a mask on everywhere at all times. Um, so it's it's kind of become the normal now. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it feels all right. And, but there are also crowds in there was quite seemed like quite a lot of um, people on the climbs yesterday, um, so it, it doesn't feel super different. Um, it's probably the, the crowds are just obviously scaled back quite a lot. Very good. Well, thanks, Schultze. We'll um, let you get back to it. Thanks for coming on the potty again. Uh, good luck for the rest of the season, and. Um, as I mentioned at the start, if you haven't already, check out Schultze, the interview we did with Schultze last year. We touched on his full story, the uh, the way that he made it to the world tour. It's one of our best podcasts we've ever done. So thanks again, Schultze, and uh, all the best for the rest of the year. Thanks, Schultze. No, no worries. Thanks heaps, guys. See you, mate.